Today is the beginning part of celebration of Easter. You realize that? That of Palm Sunday, recognizing what this is called the Passion Week. And yet today is a day in which we can celebrate together over Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, whatever term you want to call it, it's all the same. And today's message is symbols so that you'll never forget. Symbols so that you'll never forget. Found based on scripture that we'll see that Jesus says as well as what Paul records in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 and 24. And Paul says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, or often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Jesus had a moment with his disciples that is recorded in the Gospels in the upper room. On the eve of his trial or his arrest and then would be his trial and all the things that happened that would lead up to his crucifixion. And yet the time that he was with his disciples would be a time that would be mind-boggling it would be a time in which their heart would be connected to the heart of Jesus, that they will be given an invitation unlike any other invitation of their life to make a decision that, that mounted and amounted to the greatest decision of their life other than when they dropped everything they had and they began to follow Jesus. Jesus gave them a challenge during the supper, the last supper that he would have with his disciples. The same challenge that I'm going to give you today in the participation of this meal together. And for those who are at home, I ask that you go get a little piece of bread or some type of beverage, even if it's juice, even if it's water, and share with us today in the communion that we're going to share inside this experience this day. Symbols so that you'll never forget. At sunrise on Sunday morning of December 7th of 1941, 350 Japanese warplanes flew through the mountains pass over the island and ruined death and destruction upon Pearl Harbor. Eight battleships, ten smaller warships were sunk or put out of commission. Two hundred American planes were destroyed 
and 3,581 servicemen were killed or wounded. The USS Arizona took a bomb down its stack. The boilers, the oil tanks, the munitions exploded. The battleship went down eight minutes, entombing 1,177 servicemen. President Franklin D. Roosevelt called that day the sneak attack as the day of infamy. The national battle cry which the United States entered World War II was the battle cry, Remember Pearl Harbor. Our battle cry has marked our nation 245 years of our history and the battle cries such as the Remember the Alamo, Remember Maine, Remember This, Remember 911. There have been various battle cries throughout our nation. The Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is not a battle cry. It, but two, it is a call for us to remember. It is a call of remembrance, something that is deep and personal within all of our lives. So today I want to give you a few things about remembering Jesus based on what he did and was recorded later by Paul there that we read in 1 Corinthians. So let's remember some things about Jesus in this Last Supper. First of all are our Savior's final words. The Lord's Supper is a meal that we receive. And just as we take the elements and receive them into our bodies, we have taken Christ and received him into our lives. But the Lord's Supper is more than a meal. It is a memorial. When we share in the bread and the cup, we not only have the responsibility of receiving, but we also have the responsibility of remembering. On that night, Jesus was executed. He gathered the eve of that. He gathered with his disciples for that final meal together a meal in which for the disciples would just be an, a, a normal meal. It would be a meal that they had fellowship and communion with Jesus by one-to-one -one conversation, being in his presence and just feeling his love and being impacted because of their commitment to him. But it would be their last meal together before Jesus would be hauled away by Jewish and Roman authorities to eventually be crucified, nailed to a cross, pierced for our transgressions, and a spot, a, not a spot still, would be left on that lamb, would be pure. And around the table, he shared with them this Passover meal, a meal that for them was very powerful. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, then Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is my body which is given for you and do this in remembrance of me. In the apostles' words recorded in the institution of the Lord's Supper inside the Corinthian congregation, twice he said, remembrance in, in remembrance of him, in remembrance of me. The word remembrance means much more than recalling something or someone from the past. To remember is to make vivid, 
to make vivid and to make real in our mind, our heart, to recall, to make a contemporary connection, the reality of that need. And so it's more than just, oh, I remember. It's making vivid in our life something that is impressionable in our life that has been etched into the stone of our heart and has softened that stone to receive the power of God into this temple's heart. And in this case, it is remembering the words of Jesus. It's remembering the life of Jesus. It's remembering the deeds of Jesus. It's remembering the death of Jesus. It's being empowered by the resurrection of Jesus. It's giving hope to us because of the ascension of Jesus and is also a future hope because he's coming back for his bride. Because of Jesus, we, are, we were redeemed. Because of Jesus, we are redeemed. And because of Jesus, we will be redeemed. And the Lord's Supper commemorates that very fact. That every time we take of the bread and we take of the juice, we remember, we remember what he's done for us. It becomes our cry as a people. It becomes our cry as a nation in the kingdom of God. It's the cry that says, remember what God has done for each of us. Second of all, in remembering Jesus is a memento from a cherished friend. To aid our memory, Jesus chose two symbols and necessary symbols for our life so that it becomes consistent reminders all throughout the history and the life of the body of Christ, that of the bread and that of wine. The simplest of elements, when they're associated with the greatest friend and associated and impacted by the greatest Savior that we'll ever know, it becomes powerful mementos cherished from our friend. They stir up emotional memories. It stirs up memories of the heart. The intimate photo album does well in our life when we remember things we've done, but we become, we realize our own, the well-read within our own life, we have an internal photo album within us. And when we share in that bread, we share in that cup, the photo album opens up and we remember everything we've learned about Christ, when he healed the leper, when he gave sight to the blind, when he reached out to the woman at the well, when he held the woman of a bleeding issue, when he gave life back to the dead. We see Christ and we see everyone surrounding him. We see the crowds following him. We see him kneeling in prayer. We see him at Gethsemane. We see him in the Last Supper with the disciples. We see him on the cross. We hear his last words. We see his love. And we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We hear him say, it is finished. And we understand in the photo album that goes across our mind, we see the earth begin to shake. We see the rocks split open. We see the graves and those who have dead begin to rise. We see all those things and we remember Christ. We remember his love. We remember everything he's done. We see the pierceness through his wrist. We see the nails through his feet. 
We see the crown upon his head. And we understand everything that Christ has done, he's done for us. And if you are the only one on the face of the earth, he would have still died for you. And if you're the only one on the face of the earth, you would have drove the nails through his feet. You would have drove the nails through his hands. You would have put the the spear in his side. You would have put the crown upon his, his, his head. You would have been standing there when he said, Father, forgive him or her for what she has done. You would hear him say, it is finished. And you would see him breathe his last breath. You would see your Savior. And you would declare as the Roman soldier declared, surely this man is the Son of God. That's what you see when you see the elements of the bread and the cup. The life of Christ before us. A memento of a cherished friend who says, I love you. I read about a unique funeral of a college friend. A young man who had been killed in a horrible accident near his home. And while a funeral was held for this young man at his home in another state, a memorial service was held in a college chapel. Friends were asked to bring items that that could be shared with those in that service that would be a memento of this man's life. Where the casket would have been placed at the altar, there were placed pictures, tender pictures of this young man. School assignments, flowers, a letterman's jacket, a football, a baseball, the assortment of all sorts of miscellaneous objects that carried more meaning than they had borne just weeks before. And one by one, individuals rose and shared stories of pranks, stories and words of reflection, instances of love and devotion all about this young man's life. There wasn't an unmoved heart in the house. Laughter mixed with tears, smiles, quivering lips. When the mementos of the bread and the cup are before us, he desires that we remember him He wants our time together as a spiritual family to be as comfortable and as familiar to us as an evening meal around a family who is lamenting or celebrating or remembering the life of others, vibrantly recalling what life is like as a family. So it's mementos of a cherished friend remembering Jesus. Third is a deed that saves us, a deed that saves us. It's tragic when a believer loses the wonder of what it means to be redeemed. It's even more horrific when a believer forgets the Redeemer. And yet Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wants to find a Christian as a person who is amazed at the fact that he or she is forgiven. I remember when I walked into the church for the first time as as a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old boy, I remember sitting in the very far back corner that I could find and hopefully no one noticed who I was or would recognize me for anything and I sat down and I remembered the uncomfortable feeling of being lost and knowing that I was lost and being with a group of people 
who understood salvation. Even though I didn't know those terms and the meaning of that as a 15-year-old boy, I later would learn that as I look back to give it definition. But I was uncomfortable because I did not know a Savior. I was uncomfortable because God, to me, was all about just going to church. For me, as a young boy, we went to service at Christmas time and Easter, and we did our thing and had a merry life in between and never thought about God during those times. So I was a lost boy inside a building. And I remember my pastor saying to me, when I committed my life to Christ on August 16th of 1981, my pastor said to me in his private study, he said, Benji, do never, never forget the feeling that you felt when you walked into the church for the first time. Never lose the feeling of being lost because that feeling will always remain with you and it will give you a passion to make sure every person you meet does not remain lost. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a Christian is a person who is amazed at the fact that he or she is forgiven. Participating in, the, in communion is, is the recognition of a deed that has saved us. It is the recognition that we are forgiven. That when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, we accepted that and say, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus says, Father, forgive them and cleanse them of their unrighteousness. For those who call upon me, I will enter into their temple. He never wants us to forget the sacrifice. The Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of the price He paid for us, that He's taking the wounds of Calvary to heaven with Him and perhaps to remind us forever that He died in our place. He never wants us to forget that sacrifice, not for His sake nor for ours. During the 19th century, Ireland was stricken by a potato famine. And during that time, many Irish people immigrated to America. And once again, my Irish friends who listen to me every week, I give a shout out to you. This is a part of your history. A young Irish boy stowed away on an American-bound sh American ship at sea. The ship struck an iceberg and began to sink. As the people scrambled frantically to get upon the lifeboats to be rescued, the captain supervised all the activity and at last got everyone off the ship and yet including himself into all the lifeboats. When he looked back at the ship as it was beginning to sink and tilt very strongly, he saw a young stowaway coming out from hiding. The brave captain ordered his lifeboat back to the sinking ship. He climbed aboard as best he could and he rescued this boy and putting him in the seat of the captain that he had just vacated. And the only available spot left in the lifeboat 
as the lifeboat slowly pulled away from that sinking ship a second time, this time leaving the captain on the ship to go down with the ship. He yelled out to the boy, Son, never forget what has been done for you today. Jesus shouts out on a cross and he says, Never forget what I have done for you today. Father, forgive them, for I, I, they know not what they do. I suspect the boy never forgot. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was a way of saying, never forget what I have done for you on a cross and never forget the pain, the suffering, and the sacrifice. Through the broken bread, he reminds us of his body that was broken to meet the hunger of our salvation. Through the poured wine, he reminds us that his blood was spilt to meet the thirst of our life. Communion is more than bread and more than a cup. Through his blood, Jesus erased our sin. And through his broken body and spilled blood, he became the perfect sacrifice. As a lamb without spot or blemish, he atoned for our sins and hallelujah, he redeemed us for all eternity. There's more to these elements than bread and wine or bread and juice. Our Savior's final words given to those disciples are the same words we hear today. A memento given to us from a cherished friend as those disciples in that last moment with Jesus is the same memento given to us because he's our cherished friend. A deed that is sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered that saves us from our sin. And last of all, is a response to a grand invitation. The key to all of this is our response to a grand invitation. The key to every miracle that was performed and everything that Jesus did on the face of the earth is a response to a grand invitation. It is a grand response, the invitation that's given to those who he rose from the dead, from that of Jairus' daughter to that of Lazarus in the tomb. To those he touched and healed, he gave them a grand invitation. And the same miracle of life resides in communion that gives us that same grand invitation. An invitation that says to us, I do, I will. And I give you my life. Now let me illustrate for you this grand invitation through a simulated vow renewal that I'm going to do right here before your eyes. I've asked Kim and Judy to come forward and to meet me at the altar. And yet we, we come forward this morning to recognize the love of two people. Judy, stand in front of me. Kim, stand in front of me. And y'all stand together holding hands. And I'm going to move you a little forward towards the wall, towards this way, this way, this way. There you go. All right. But guys, we stand here today to celebrate your love, to celebrate your love of 33 years going on 34, to where one day you stood at the altar with one another and you gave your heart and your commitment to one another. And today I want to ask you to do something a little different. And I want you to share it in a different way. And so, Kim, knowing that this is your wife, 
and knowing that you have lived your life with her for 33 years, going on 34. It's a life in which you do not regret. It's a life that you, will not, you, you don't want to repeat anywhere else but with her. And I ask you a very serious question. Do you take Judy again to be your wife, to live together through the covenant of marriage from this day forward and giving her your life? If you will agree with that, say, I do. I do. Judy, knowing who Kim is, sharing in 33 years, going on 34 years of your life together, all that you all have accomplished and all that you have seen, the ups and downs, the good and bad, the bad head and the bad breath, <laughs> all of that together. I ask you as well, do you take Kim as your husband continually to, to, as, as you live together in the covenant of marriage? And will you agree today, do you give him your life from this day forward? I do. Well, by that declaration and your shared witnesses that were uninvited but yet invited <laughs> guests, I declare you once again, husband and wife. You may kiss one another. Thank you, thank you. So that's an invitation. That's a grand invitation, isn't it? As you stand before one another and you say to one another, I do. It is basically saying, I give you this new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. Shed for you from the bottom of my heart. Jesus gives that response to us and we must recall what he's done for us. There can only be one response. And when we understand his love and all that we can do, he gives to us and does for us in life, there's only one thing to do is to say yes. But, because of the grand scheme of how he's created male and female and created this world, we're not puppets on a string, and he allows us to say no. Go back to that upper room where Jesus shared his last meal with his disciples. Sharing a common meal with his friends was as common as the practice is today. As Jewish men sharing this Passover meal it was familiar as families share in a Thanksgiving meal today, that familiarity. It was comfortable. It was okay. It was nothing new, but it was a time of celebration. This Passover was the call to remembrance, remembering God's deliverance of the Jewish people from the Egyptian bondage. And yet Jesus is there on that night when Jesus said, this, this cup is the new covenant in other words, established by me, my blood that is shed for you. This is a new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. Now, let me give you the understanding. Now, why did I have Kim and Judy come up here and do this for you? In the first century, listen to me. In the first century, a young Jewish man reached marrying age and his family selected the appropriate bride. And yet, he and his father would meet the young woman and her father to negotiate the bride's price. It was a figurative cost, mind you. Now, being a father of a daughter, I understand the high cost that should be made. <laughs> when negotiations were complete, the young custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine 
and hand it to his son. Now stay with me. The son would lift up the cup and would in turn extend it to the woman that he's about to marry. And he would say to her, this is the proposal. This is why it was so impactful at that Passover meal. He would say to his young bride-to-be, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which I offer to you. In other words, the groom was saying, I love you and I'm giving you my life. Will you accept this and will you in turn give me your life by marrying me? Stay with me. Jesus is at the Last Supper. The young woman had a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say no. Or she could answer without saying a word by drinking from the cup. And this act was her way of saying, I accept your offer and I will marry you and I'm giving you my life. On that last, on that night of the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sat down together celebrating a Passover meal. The disciples knew the liturgy very well. They had shared it for centuries, for years upon years. The disciples understand it and they celebrated this Passover with all of their lives. And when it came time to drink from the cup of wine, the cup of redemption, may I add, Jesus lifted up the cup as the disciples would expect and he offered thanks he said, Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of this vine. And then he offered it to them, and he said something that probably they did not expect. This, is the, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. As Jewish men sitting there at that table realized the meaning of Jesus' words, a very common, ordinary expression, a language that says, I love you. And the only picture that I can think that can describe the power of this love for you is a pure love of a husband is to a wife. The church is called the bride. It's hard to know what the disciples must have thought that day. Maybe they had a few chuckles realizing that Jesus just made to them a marriage proposal, which must have seemed totally out of place in this Passover Sedir. And yet they have understood the Jesus saying to them, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to be buried. And eventually I'm going to be raised I love you, and as my father promised your fathers from many years ago, the covenant that was made with Abraham, father upon father upon father, from, from generation to generation to generation, my father promised your fathers, I pay the price for you. Will you accept it? In response, you will love me back by giving me your life. 
And when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we must be mindful of Jesus' offer. He still says to us, I love you. He proves the extent of that love by dying on a cross. And he says to us, I offer you my life. Will you be my bride? The taking of the cup is a solemn moment, a sentimental memento. For it is in that moment that one looks to the heavenly Father and says, yes, I accept your offer and I give you my life in response. It's saying back to him, I do. I do. As Kim said to Judy and Judy said back to Kim, I do. When you take this cup, will you accept Jesus' offer? Will you give, be given your, your life's response back as, as a grand response to a grand invitation? Do you remember the last time when you did that? Is it as vivid in your mind today as you prayed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart? That moment needs to be etched in your mind. When coming to the table, we remember the sentences that embody a life. We remember the symbols dripping with meaning and the overwhelming sacrifice and our response of gratitude. Some things we need not forget. Early Saturday morning on November 12th of 1986, Jamie Estep was traveling from her home in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yet she worked the morning shift at the restaurant by the interstate. And as she rounded the last curve before she could turn onto the frontage road, a car in her lane speeding over 90 miles an hour, they determined, came toward her. Jamie swerved her car but could not avoid the oncoming vehicle. She was struck right on the driver's side. The young, vibrant, Teenager, bright blue eyes, and even a brighter future was killed instantly upon impact. The driver of the speeding vehicle by the name of Lucas Jones was coming home from an all-night party with friends, 17 years old, underage drinking, irresponsible behind the wheel, and irresponsible with his actions. When he hit the car, he was thrown out of the car and yet walked away from the accident with just a few scrapes, bruises, and a broken arm. Lucas, at 17 years old, in fact, was an honors roll student and a member of the band, was highly respected, voted the least to the most to succeed and the most popular. And on this night, simply had too many beers and should not have been driving a car and made a tragic mistake that took the life of someone else. At his trial, witnesses testified of Lucas's achievements. All those in the community stood up for Lucas, his kind heart, his church involvement. The prosecuting attorney reminded the court that while all these facts of Lucas were very true, that he nevertheless, he drove a car that exceeded the speed limit while being intoxicated in, under, under alcohol, took the life of an innocent young girl, and punishment was needed 
and expected. The courtroom waited in anticipation over the judge's verdict because in 1986, there were still the laws that protected those under 17, 17 and younger. So it was a juvenile court and he's facing juvenile detention, not a legal prison. So the courtroom is waiting for the judge. They heard the remorseful Lucas Jones throughout the trial. Lucas, as the witnesses have testified, the judge says, as he asked him to stand, as the witnesses have testified, you are a decent young man. And from your own statement, I truly believe you are very remorseful for your actions. I completely believe that you'll never touch alcohol again as you have promised this courtroom and have promised me as a judge. But, and there was the long pause, but a young lady is dead because of your irresponsibility. Nothing could ever do to bring her back to life. Her friends and family will mourn her death for the rest of their lives. I therefore sentence you to two years in juvenile detention. And since you have already served 16 months, the balance of your time is just a few short months. And there was a gasp over the entire courtroom, especially Jamie's family, thinking the sentence was not severe enough. And the judge continued... And for the rest of your natural life, wherever you are, if you are in Japan or if you are in Oklahoma, every year on November 12th, you must prove to this courtroom and every judge who stands in this chamber after me for the rest of your natural life, you better prove that you stand in the very same spot on November 12th that took the life of that young girl. And if you don't, you will go to jail for the rest of your life as an adult. Do you understand me, Lucas? Because I don't want you to ever forget what you did in taking the life of that young girl. Will you accept this sentence, Lucas? Shaking in his shoes. Yes, sir. There's nothing more tragic or horrific than the innocent life killed by someone else. My dear friends, we are no different than Lucas Jones. We took the life of Jesus Christ. It was our sin that nailed him to a cross. He was the innocent victim. We deserve to die. But he took our place. And that's what we must never forget. And as we gather at the table this morning, we remember Jesus. We taste the bread and we sip from the cup to recall the life that was taken, the sacrifice that was made, 
and our part in the tragedy. And every time we stand at the table, we remember as if we're standing at the base of the cross and we're back at the scene of death and we're looking up to the cross and we're remembering, I took your life. Father, I pray today that you will grant to each of us the serenity and the peace within our own heart, the reconciliation and the recognition of a life that is forgiven and clean because of the love of Jesus, the love of our Father and the power of your Holy Spirit. May, Father, today you give to us the unction of your Spirit that motivates us, encourages us, and strengthens us to live for you with a greater vigor and a greater energy to serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength as you have commanded, to love our neighbor and to love ourselves, and to look at you in the eyes and say, thank you, Father, for being my Father and forgiving me of my sin. Father, we celebrate the greatest meal of our life today, the reminder of how Jesus loves us so. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Today, we take this bread. We recognize that it is the body of Christ that has been broken for you. This is the cup. Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of this vine. We share together in this wonderful communion, knowing that this is the new covenant in his blood that is offered to you the bread that is broken that says, I offer you my life. Please do not forget. Do not forget the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Christ. Listen to this song. Jesus, Messiah, like you've never listened before. Yes. 
Lord of 